On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, Mike Fortune joins us to talk about all kinds of stuff from elections to vaccine passports to Jeopardy. And who would you want narrating your life story? We'll get to all that stuff. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Let me bring in our guest today, not a house Martin, as far as I know. Uh, but he is a TV host. He is the co-host of the Hamilton Network on Cable 14. His name is Michael Fortune. He joins us now. Michael, how are you? Hey, Scott. It's been quite a while. I'm doing well. Yourself, my friend? You've been having a good summer so far, pal? You know, it's been a great summer. It's been, uh, yeah, things are good. And it's Friday. It's always, you know, it's always Friday when we have you on, which is always a good thing. And as I say, I was just listening. Do you have a band? Do you have a group that comes to mind when you think of, now I know you're a mag, you know, massive Elvis fan, but is there a group that as a kid or a young man you used to listen to, and then all of a sudden you just sort of forgot about them until you once in a while hear a song and then you just can't stop listening again? Uh, you know what? Not really. I've never really been a, a, a band or a group uh, connoisseur when it comes to music. I've always been a solo artist uh, type of fan. So nothing that comes back, you know, you know, every once in a while I'll go to the Beatles, I guess, type thing. But, you know, they're not forgotten. They're they're mainstream still. They're still out there. They're they're the big name. But no, uh, bands never really did it for me. I'm going to be honest with you. I like the I like the solo guys or, or women. Yeah, you know what? There's a few of them. There's a few probably if I really sat down and thought about it that I would think, you know, I listened to that back when I was younger and then just for whatever reason, it's just whether it was because you stopped listening to cassettes or records or CDs or whatever, and they sort of got put aside. And But I tell you, I, I can tell you what I'll be listening to all weekend because now it's in my head. And it's one of the, you know, when you've got that, yeah. that old stuff buried in your brain somewhere. Uh, hey, nope. today, you know what today is, Mike? Well, I said it off the top. Uh, aside from Friday, no clue. Friday the 13th. Oh, yes. Now, I got my wrist slapped on Friday the 13th. Because I have very dear friends of mine, and, and their wife, his wife takes Friday the 13th off. And I'm like, I look at him, I go, yeah, but you're not bikers. You don't go down to Port Dover. And they got so upset with me. And they're like, only in Ontario do people think of Friday the 13th and Port Dover. They actually take it off every time it comes around because of Friday the 13th. The mo- they're horror movie buffs. That's why they celebrate Friday the 13th. So they sit at home and watch the entire franchise? that or other horror movies but yes pretty much that's how they celebrate friday the 13th i'll tell you, you the friday the 13th movie franchise would have been a lot shorter <laughs> if the kids who went to what was it camp silver whatever it was called the camp there yep. um if, if they were a little brighter and when you hear you know a, a noise in the barn and it's dark you don't run into the barn to investigate the noise. You run away from the barn, especially if it's a camp, Camp Crystal Lake, especially when there's been about 5,000 murders there at the campground over the years. Um, <laughs> you, you, you would say, and just like every other, every horror movie too, what do they also do? They also run all the way upstairs or they go all the way down to the basement instead of getting out of the house, right? Yes, or lock themselves in the bathroom with no exit, yes. no way out. Or better yet, um, you can be assured that any young, nubile girl who decides to, you know, spend some naked time with her boyfriend, both of them are going to die in a horrible, horrible way. Um, that's the surest way. Ha- have a little sex in 
Camp Crystal Lake, and that's the surest way to ensure that's your last day on Earth <laughs> if Jason is running around. It's, there you go. Uh, so true. So true. But, hey, you know, it, it, it's a cookie cutter. It works no different than when you've done the interviews regarding the Hallmark Christmas movies. There's a cookie cutter theme that more or less works for, for horror movies, and you, you stick with it, and you throw in those cliche moments, if you will, and, and that's what keeps the things going, man. Mike, you have just accidentally come up with what may be the most ingenious idea of the week. We need a horror Hallmark Christmas movie. Hey. A, a slasher flick for Hallmark Christmas for those not? people who like the horror movies. I, I, that's a great idea. Let's get your contacts on that you have on the show. Let's put something together, you and I, and let's see if we can get some royalties off of this then. You know, you've got this lovely couple living in some quaint rural place and she has just moved from the big city because she has to go home to help close the family little craft shop for Christmas and she gets snowed in. This is the beginning of every Hallmark Christmas movie. But then instead of meeting up with her childhood high school sweetheart, falling in love and of deciding to leave her career and live in this small town, mm-hmm. she gets cornered in her house and slashed to death by a killer psycho slasher. <laughs> Yeah, or, or or a high school bully who's gone really bad or something like that. Yes. Oh, yeah. so there, you're on you're right. there here, always Mike. has to be a connection, right? There always has to be a connection. Crossover. This is yeah. the secret. Crossover. I'm telling you, I think we've just, uh, I think we've just, come, we may be both of us retiring pretty soon just with the royalties we're going to come up with off our idea here for a slasher Hallmark Let's... Christmas movie. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me ask you this. We, uh, assuming that every single media person in Canada has not been wrong on this one, <laughs> Sunday sometime, the Prime Minister is going to walk into Rideau Hall and speak to the Governor General and dissolve government, his government, and away we go on a federal election. Do you think it's a good idea? Do you think that Canada and that we need an election, we want an election, this is a good time for an election, or is this, what is this? I, I'm trying to figure out, because it doesn't seem like too many people are too excited about this right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with the majority, and sorry, i got a frog in my throat, so if I cough, I apologize. Um, here we go. <coughs> I'm so sorry, and I'm wearing a headset. Um, I'm going to go with the majority of, of um, Canadians, where I've read, they're not ready for one. They don't think it's time. They've been through too much. Uh, we're still in this this pandemic situation. Um, it's it, it's it's too much to take in right now. I think for people in, in in a time when so much is being thrown at them, there's so much angst, there's so much anger, there's so much division. Um, I, I I think things need to calm and settle down a lot more before something like this is going to happen. But of course, you and I and the rest of the media don't have any say in that. It's whatever the government wishes to do. And 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 that's where we're going to go. Um, I would be fascinated to see if this does happen, what the turnout, what the voter turnout will be, um, how candidates will go about doing their business, because uh, it won't be normal door knocking, I wouldn't think, and, and, and what will truly happen from this. But I do not think now is the time. There's just too much else going on, Scott, where people are just, they're anxious. They're on pins and needles still. It's an interesting question you raise about the turnout. And uh, I heard someone much brighter than I uh, the other day say, you know, part of the reason why, even though a lot of people are saying we don't want an election, 
in the middle of a pandemic, especially if a fourth wave is coming. I heard someone say, but this is perfect for the government right now because older voters tend to vote conservative. And older voters, tend, older people tend to be the ones who are at the most risk of COVID and therefore probably less likely to leave their house or their apartment to go cast a ballot. I don't know how cynical that is. It's an interesting thought that among everything else, if we can call an election when people likely to vote for the opposition aren't going to vote. Now, the flip side is our millennials who probably would be more likely to vote liberal, are they going to go out and vote if people don't really see what the point of this election is. And I think that's the real issue here. I don't think people see, understand or see a reason why we're doing this. There, there is no doubt there, there's some gamesmanship going on behind the scenes. And, and I don't know about you, but uh, my, my wife and I and, and, and people I know, we've been receiving text messages over the last month or so. I don't know how they get our numbers saying, hi, this is Susan um, texting you from the Liberal par- uh, Party um, would you, should there be an election called, would you be supporting us? Hit Y or N. Um, of course, we just hit delete and why are you bothering me? So <laughs> they, they, they're, they're doing their homework, and uh, they, they understand what's at stake here, and they know that. I, I honestly think if there is going to be a turnout, I think you will see the younger generation, because the millennials, because they've become so much more vocal. They've become so much more in tune with what's going on, uh, they want to have their voices heard, and I think they would get out and and put that X through their their candidate and and want to uh, to get their messaging out there for sure, Scott. I think what you should have done, Mike, is not hit delete. You should have hit Q or something and completely screwed up the algorithm and seen what would have happened to their thing. <laughs> yeah. um, look, so I just I, you may be right. What the people who tend to be the most passionate in any election are those who are angry with the status quo. If, so, you know, when, when, when Clinton was in, the, the, the Bush crowd got out there and voted hardest to try and get their guy elected. And then when Bush was in, the Obama people came out because they were angry and they won. And then when Obama was in, the Trump people came out. And then when Trump was in, the, 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 the um, Biden people came out. It's, it's always who's angriest. I don't know that anyone's angry. I mean, people may be a little ticked off right now, but I don't know that it, it seems like we're just in this sort of state of perpetual, I don't know what. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Anger seems to fuel a lot of the people when they cast a ballot. I guess there are people who are angry, certainly out west they're angry. Um, are people angry right now? Maybe not even angry. Are they furious right now? Do they do they hate everybody right now like we've seen in past elections? Or is this a pretty benign time? Um, I, I I, again, I think it depends on your circle. I think it depends on how truly involved you are. You know, amongst my group of, of individuals and coworkers that I hang out with and speak with, it, there isn't a lot of angst and anger. There's a lot of shrug shoulders and, oh, well, this is kind of what these are the cards we're dealt with. But you can go to another backyard socially distanced gathering and it can just be a, an uproar of, of, finger pointing and criticism and opinions on how things should be done. So it, I think it's a real mix right now, Scott, uh, on, on how people are feeling. I don't think there is an absolute, tr- and I, I don't like saying the word hate because it's a very strong word, but I don't think there's a huge dislike across the country. I could be wrong, um, but it's it's one of those, all right, you're going to call it and, and, and let's see, let's see where the, the, the cards fall. Here's what I would suggest though. 
And I've been thinking about this since yesterday when we were talking about this on the show a little bit. We do have in this country a law that says every four years on a certain date, we have to have a federal election. That is by law. That's, that's a good rule. It keeps the, it doesn't allow a government to stall if it comes time for the four years. So we have to have an election that I'm all in favor of, but I'd like to, I'd like it to go further because if you are a government who has not lost the confidence of the house of commons, which this government has not lost the confidence, has not lost the confidence vote. If you decide that when you are still capable of governing and you decide to send people back to the polls and cost the country hundreds of millions of dollars for an election, if you don't win a majority, there should be some sort of cost to that party. Because otherwise this whole thing is just a giant waste of time and a giant waste of money for a country that can't be squandering all kinds of money because we're so far in debt right now. I don't know what the cost is. I don't know if the party that called the election gets some massive fine or has to pay part of the cost of the election. I don't know if the leader has to step down. I don't know what, but there should be something that puts some, some raises the ante for that government to say, we can't go through this whole thing and end up back with a minority government at the end of this with parties basically holding the same number of seats and say, oh, well, that was fun. Yeah, because if, if we just go back to where everything is, you know, maybe you might see a, a couple seats change hands and, and, and so on and so forth. You know, I think Hamilton will be somewhat interesting. That's for sure. Um, but you, I love the idea, but again, you and I both know something like that will never happen because it's the government that has to agree for something like that to happen, right? So it's, 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 I love the concept. Well, not necessarily, not necessarily. You could have a backbencher's motion and the other parties decide to support it. And because it's a minority, they could pass that. How often have we seen something like that? happen? Very seldom. No, very seldom. Very seldom, but I, I, again, I'm looking and, and, you know, you're right. I mean, the other parties will probably look at this and go, well, we could be in this position someday. So we don't want to hamstring ourselves, but I just look at this and I think this, this exercise, if it is entirely in vain at the end of this, and some polls say the liberals are going to get their majority and some say, no, we're going to be right where we started. If we're right where we started, this will have been a complete and utter waste of time and money. And, you know, minority governments that fall because of a lack of confidence from the other parties, that's a different thing altogether. They are basically then required almost to call an election. This is a, this is a choice election right now. This is unnecessary. It's a choice. And, And it will be very interesting because, you know, here in Canada, we vote for the party we want to represent us at the provincial and obviously the federal level. So, you know, have the liberals really upset that many people or have they made more people happy because of serve and 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 so on and so forth so who knows how people's minds switch over a three four year period and what people are truly thinking but to your point you know we have to call something over the four years so here we're at it and and off we go right and I'll say one other thing that I would love to see happen as a law in this country, which will never in a billion years happen, but I'd love to see it. I'd love to see a law put in that says within, pick a period, four months, within four months of an election, no government can be handing out giveaways. No no government in office can be giving away freebies and announcing stuff. So you know generally where the four years is and where the date of the election is. So four months out from that, you cannot be hand you can't be playing Santa Claus if you're the government of any stripe. 
and handing out stuff to try and buy people's vote. And if you're going to call an election like this one, well, you got to wait. You got to stop giving out money today. And then four months from now, you could have the election. Uh, it, to me, what we see is, especially again, in a country that is just so far in debt and so far in deficit right now, we're already seeing the government going around handing out freebies all over the place, all these goodies. Mm-hmm. And is it really for the betterment of the country or is it to buy votes? Well, we know the answer. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, it's it's interesting how how this will will play out. Um, and and I think if you start to dig a little deeper, obviously we're Hamilton centric. How this is going to play out here in Hamilton with some retirements, and and you know we we've heard the announcement of a local councillor going to be taking a, trying to to run for a seat. Chad uh, Collins announced, yep, that he's going to run for Hamilton East. Yep, for yep, the Liberals. And, and this is going to have uh, potentially some some big implications on on how this city looks. You know, we're traditionally a, a very orange-looking city. Um, you know, maybe Hamilton wants to see a change, and, and, and you will get a few more Liberals. Who, who truly knows what it, what is going to happen? Well, I mean, I, I truly, I kind of expect, and we got to run, I truly expect in this city, that when this whole thing is said and done, that our colors in our ridings will look exactly the same. Different names attached to those ridings because we've got people changing, but I think that the colors will look exactly the same at the end of this. I agree with you. And then again, I go back to my point. So what's this all about then? And that it will be to guarantee yourself another few uh, four years. Let's let's call it when we can, and uh, let, let's uh, let's keep employed for another four years. Well, and then here's what here's the real problem now, Mike. Because this has been a chosen election, what happens if in six months the other parties now show a lack a vote down, have an, a, a non confidence vote? Do we have to have an, another election in six months? Yes, we will. Of course, we do. Yeah, it's yeah, at, at a certain point. And that's why generally minority governments ride it out as long as they possibly can because they they assume that at some point they're going to have a vote of non-confidence and they're going to have to have an election. So choosing to do this when you don't, you're tempting fate that we're going to have to do this all over again very shortly. At, at a certain point, people just get fatigued and, and cynical. Which leads me to believe the, the liberals think they have a very good chance at potentially getting back to... Yeah, of course, they, they must. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Mike, let me ask you a question. And before we start this, uh, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Okay, I've had my, I've been shot up. I've had I, the the chemicals are coursing through my veins as we speak. So I am not coming to you as someone who is against the vaccine by any stretch. But I do have a legitimate, a real question about this, and it goes to the the push that we seem to be having now for a. Uh, a vaccine passport more and more people even today we heard that federal employees will have to have it and to travel and all these if we believe in the vaccine if we really believe in the vaccine why do we need to have a vaccine passport because if you have had your vaccination you are protected you have nothing to worry about and if you have chosen not to get vaccinated, you are at risk, but that's your responsibility because you've been told you're at risk. Why do we, who are we protecting? Why do we need to have a vaccination passport if we believe the vaccines work? Well, let me pose a question to you. When, when, when with, with mumps and polio and measles and all that, and it, why, why are all those recorded? Why is it Every three or four years or whatever the number is, you know, we get a message from the school saying your your child needs to update their charts. I don't have an answer to that. I, I, I don't know 
why we have to have such strict records regarding it. I don't know who's overseeing it. Does it have to do with public health? Does it have to do with something a little bit deeper in what our country requires to ensure that um, you know diseases don't carry on? I, I don't know. I'm fully in. I'm like you. I'm. I can feel it flowing through my veins. Um, I, I'm. I'm in favor of a, of a vaccine passport. I have no issue with with saying that I've had my two shots and here they are and, and let's move on with the world. Um, so I, I kind of pose the question to you: Why did the, why did they start with all the other you know records that have to be followed and you're not allowed to go to school if if your child hasn't had their updated measles shots or whatever? And my answer to that question would be because as a child you are not in a position to make that decision for yourself. Your health, you're not old enough, you're not mature enough. We don't let you drive until you're 16, vote till you're 18, drink till you're 19. There are things you are not mature enough to decide as a child. And as a result, yes, we require you to be looked after by your guardian. But as an adult, if you have the vaccine, it should not matter to you what anyone around you does or doesn't do because you're protected from the virus. And so if you, if the person living next door to you chooses not to get vaccinated, ultimately that's their risk that they are taking and they will be harmed and you won't because you're protected. This is my problem with it is that somehow once again, we seem to be taking the idea that the person, the individual in our society bears no responsibility for their actions. If I choose not to get vaccinated, to me, that's entirely on me. In a, if I get COVID, my fault, if there's a culling of the herd and it's the people who didn't get vaccinated, that's their responsibility. They made the choice. But if I get the vaccine, I'm protected. And, and I can't disagree with anything that you just said. Um, again, at higher levels of government and public health, um, whatever their reason is for saying we must have passports to ensure that we get this under control more, I, I don't. I wouldn't want to be around those boardroom tables, or maybe I would. Maybe I would want to be a fly on the wall to to listen to what their thought process truly is, because I don't think we've been given a true answer, have we? Is, is well, it to keep? Is, is it so we don't go into another shutdown? Is it? To, uh, oh, sure, sure. But, but again, where this ultimately to me, Mike, this ultimately becomes a discussion about your individual responsibility as a citizen in this country. And you know what? If your mom or your dad as a kid says, Mike, don't touch the stove because it's really hot and you'll burn your hand. And if you then reach up and touch that stove, whose fault is that? That's your fault. That's not your parents' fault. Your parents gave you every warning that you shouldn't do that. And so if we have a situation now where where you have been told repeatedly that you need to get a vaccine or you might be at risk and you get it then and you die to me, look, I don't want people to die of this, but at a certain point you've been told enough. And if you decide not to do it and you die, that's, that's Darwin's law right there. That's playing out. And you made your choice, so but I don't know why everyone else who got it should be worried if they're protected. Is this maybe just a case of the government showing that they truly care? We want to make no, sure that our, no. our, our individuals are protected and looked after? Come on. I mean, <laughs> I, I, that would be lovely to say, but let's not be totally naive about this. No, I... I if, and if is we're it, saying... Is there, any financial, is there any financial gain for them? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that one. But if, the, but if the truth is, is that if we're saying that you need to have a vaccine passport so that people are not passing this on to you... 
and you've got your vaccine, well, then what you're saying is we don't really believe the vaccine works. And, and then if that's the case, why are we all doing this? Now, I've, I've, as I say, I've had, I've been vaccinated, so I'm not taking that position. But I just, I look at this and I think, what is the point of the, everyone's talking about this vaccine passport, but no one's saying, well, wait a second, but if you have your vaccine, you shouldn't have anything to worry about. Well, I think you still have something to worry about because it, 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 the, the vaccine, the, the, sorry, COVID, you can still get COVID as we know, it just won't penetrate. It won't go through the armor as much. You're giving yourself that layer of, of armor and protection. And, That's and, right. And, and you, you still may get symptoms, but guess what? You're but not going to be protected. in ICU. You're not going to be on a, on a ventilator potentially. Right. But you're protected. And so it doesn't matter then. You don't need to know that the person next to you does or doesn't have. If the person in your passenger seat of your car doesn't wear a seatbelt and you do, and they've chosen not to do it and you get in an accident, you're okay. They're not, you're not worried about whether you're going to be hit. Like well, the point yeah, is that a certain... I, I think there's insurance reasons. Well, that's okay. That's topic, a diff- But if, that's if your diff- passenger doesn't wear a seatbelt, aren't you going to be charged for making sure your passenger isn't wearing a seatbelt? Yeah. And that's a different thing. I'm talking about the health okay. side of this. You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me throw this one at you because uh, uh, this 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 was a stunner to me when I read this. A number of uh, scientists at University of Pittsburgh and Carnegie Mellon University down in the states did a survey of five million people across the states about their decision to get COVID vaccine or their hesitancy around getting COVID vaccine. Who do you think? was the most hesitant, what group would be the most hesitant to get the COVID vaccine? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, the, 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 that younger generation that are, are just kind of starting out life and potentially want to have kids. That would be an excellent guess. And I think that a lot of people listening would have said that same thing. The number one most hesitant group by a fair margin, by a fair margin in a poll of 5 million people across the states were PhDs. Interesting. The people that you would think would have the most intelligence, the most education, the most whatever, are the most hesitant around getting a vaccine. Now, so I don't know. I don't know what this means. Well, I, was I don't know say, why. What, what what question does that put? What do they know that we don't? That's see. And again, I'm not. I'm not lobbying here for the anti-vax movement or no, anything no, like that. I'm simply saying what it's really hard because the, the, this poll does not ask in depth, why are you hesitant? It just says, you know, about your comfort or whatever else. And I think if nothing else, that is going to send a message to a lot of people, that very question you just said, what do they know that I don't know? Yeah, we, you know, hey, hey, for all we know, and again, not to start conspiracy theories, maybe this is all just one big placebo effect. <laughs> well, again, could not, you imagine? not to make light of it. I, I'm not here to make light of it. There are people that are ill, people that have died, so on and so forth. But if PhDs are hesitant about this, hmm, makes makes you start to wonder and think. Mind you, with that said, I always take surveys with a, a huge grain of salt. You know, I, I, I really do. What was their mindset when they were doing the survey? Did they truly fill it out honestly? Like, you know, all these little factors that play into it as well, I think, Scotty. Yeah. 
We don't know because, I mean, look, I, I think like you, I think a lot of people, if they'd answered that question, if I'd asked them directly, they would have said, well, the rubes are the ones who are not who are hesitant. They're, you know, the, the lack, the non-educated people. And here's the other part about this, that in this poll, apparently they found out that PhDs are also, because of their intellect and their uh, educational achievement, they are the least likely to change their minds about their position. Stubborn it's, son of guns, eh? Well, it is, but it's 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 a it's a baffling situation. And now the most, the, sorry, the least hesitant group out of those five million people polled were people with master's degrees. So well, then there you it's go. Not like it's the people that have spent so much more money on on their schooling and all that, right? They can't afford the time to take off time because they're paying off their. No, I, as I say, it's it's a it is a very very strange one. Now we don't know what they have their PhD in. It could be in, you know, basket weaving. Uh, we, we, I mean, who knows what it, it's in? But presumably, yeah. there's some of them that are sciences. One would think, but to, to, that is a. I didn't even think about that. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, you, you don't you, you don't know what their expertise is. So again, going back to my point, how much stock can you really truly put into this survey? Like, you know, it just, it's sometimes I think they do surveys to create, make work projects so they can go to their bosses and say, oh, look, we, we got some research money. Here's what we researched. Here's what we found. Give us more money and let's do another research for something else. Right. It, true. Although 5 million people is a lot of people in a study. I mean, that's a big, that's not your, uh, your poll of 25 people at the neighborhood pub. That's uh, I mean, it's, it's a big number, but that ain't uh, no city of Hamilton poll. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, as I say, I, 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 I listen, I look at this, all the questions that we're having about this, we were talking before when it was about the election, are people angry or people really at each other? I think the anger that people have right now, the thing that gets them cranked up is this vaccine issue and the passport and everything else. People are, they feel very strongly and you, you want to have a a go-to with someone, you want to have a screaming match, bring up the vaccine. And if someone's not on your side, or if they say, I want to come into my, this store and I'm not vaccinated or demand that you wear a mask and you don't want whatever, this is where you end up. This is where the anger is right now, but also the confusion and something like this, as I say, I don't know why the PhDs are hesitant. I don't know what they think they know or they do know or they have formulated in their mind that is or isn't a problem. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe PhDs feel like their brains are so big and they're so smart that they can their brains can fight off the body. I mean, I don't know. Who knows what the it's a weird one though. And you brought something up too, you know, that there's there's been there have been so many Karen instances out there. Uh, during the the height of the pandemic, and and now we're going to get into more discussions and and more conflict with store owners uh, about show us your passport or show us your vaccine passport, and and I've said this from the beginning. Okay, so you're going to have to we're, we're going to have to have a passport. That's fine. Do you know how quickly you'll be able to get a get one on the black market, just printed up or something? Like people are already thinking about how can we monopolize off of this and 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 do what we need to do. Right. So it's, yeah. And that's, that's, that's where this problem comes with the passport. This is where people's concern is. Yeah. You can manufacture a fraudulent one, but if they want you then to put it into your phone or into a system, a government system, well, I don't really want my medical information. So with bureaucrats able to see it, this is the, this is the argument. Anyway, we don't have time to talk about that. It's already there with your health card, Scott. It's already there with one swipe. It's a good point. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
you know, if we're going to talk brightest conversations, we got to talk about Jeopardy, the TV show that for years has been seen as the brightest show on television. But I, I don't know if you've been following the soap opera that has become Jeopardy here. Have you, have you been following this story? Uh, bits and pieces when it pops up on social media. I, I see there's uh, some people that are liked, not liked, uh, kind of what's happening. Uh, where are you going with this? I, 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 the latest I heard was uh, someone from the Big Bang Theory and uh, some other guy, potentially. Right. So Maya Bialik, who was on Big Bang Theory, she is one of the co-hosts they've chosen now. And the other guy is the former executive director of the show, executive producer or executive director, one of the two. He's been on, he's been in the background for a long, long time. Uh, someone someone has described him online as a discount Patrick Bateman. Um, <laughs> the, the Here's the thing. Jeopardy fans clearly very, very, very passionate about their show. And there is, there is outrage. I mean... I'm trying to think of what would make someone angry these days. This is it. The outrage about this is, Mike, is intense. And it's not just with the fans. Here's CNN's headline. How Jeopardy got the host decision so, so wrong. Um, uh, Mother Jones, who is Mayim Bialik? A terrible choice for Jeopardy host. Um, Go down here. The internet has a lot of thoughts about the new Jeopardy host, which, of course, it does. I, I don't even know what to make of this. I, I, I Oh, and the other one, people are already mad, but they're extra enraged that LeVar Burton did not get the gig. <laughs> and he was the favorite. And there were hundreds of thousands of people who went on to a, a petition to get him to be the host. And people are losing their minds. Well, does does I, this I, surprise I, you about this? I, I know that there would be outrage if, if uh, the Scott Radley show, if, if you ever had to be replaced. Um, I, I would say, Scott, that there are some awfully, awfully large shoes to fill in, uh, in uh, Mr. Alex Trebek. And perhaps Jeopardy is looking at this as a bit of a ratings thing. Let, let, let's, let's see how long we can go with this. Uh, I don't get overly passionate about this stuff. You want to bring them on? You don't. But you also have to think, too, you know, why do people get passionate about it? Because they are in, these hosts are in their living room and their dining rooms every night for an hour, whatever the case might be. And and they might not like their personalities and so on and so forth. Again, I couldn't care less. Do I think there's better options out there? Yes, by all means. But this is what the show has decided to do. And if this is how people want to spend their energy and be upset and outraged and social media makes it so easy for them to voice their displeasure, then then so be it. It's a great point. Do you think that this kind of response would have existed without social media? Because it could. I mean, it's a television show and there's still the water cooler and there's still other places. And so... You know, may, maybe it would have. I mean, it's it's been amplified, obviously. But would, is this just a social media thing, do you think? Or is this something d- deeper than that? I, I think it's a social media thing because I can guarantee you I'm not sitting around with, with my buddies and all that talking about how upset we are about who the new Jeopardy host is. It, 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 it does nothing for us. I, I couldn't care less. And I'm fairly certain that if we were in a room full of people right now, there'd be a lot of people. That, it wouldn't even come up as a topic. And if it did, it would be so quick and, and over with until something else comes up. So... Social media amplifies and pushes everything out there to, to, to the max. And this is what you see on your timeline. And then everyone wants to have their opinion. And we all know opinions are like noses. Everyone's got one. 
Um, you know, but, but I'm, glad you ch- I, I'm glad you chose noses. Some people choose things from the other end. Well, yeah, and, hey, I know it's a clean radio show. So, uh, l- listen, you know, again, I do think there could, and I don't understand why you're doing two hosts. I truly don't understand that. Maybe they're trying to change things up with their hmm? appeasement because the guy they had originally chosen, this executive director who nobody had seen, it, it looked like it was such an unpopular decision that I think they threw her in just to say, Hey, distraction, shiny object over here. Don't just look at our host we've chosen. But, but how, how is she any better? Like I, 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 I only know her work from the big bang theory. I, I don't know if she's an, if she's that game show host quality, you know, there, there is something about a, a game show host where you have to be um, engaging. You have to have that motherly or fatherly um, way about you potentially, because you are in someone's house on a nightly basis. And, you know, look at Bob Barker and they and they're, they, they really nailed it with the prices, right? I think when they had to replace Bob, finally, um, they did that one. Well, so listen, Hey, we'll see how it goes. This might be a six-month trial, and it just bombs horribly, and, and they'll go out and get a, a new permanent host. Who knows, right? This could, this could be Jeopardy's version of George Strombolopoulos as host of Hockey Night in Canada. Oh, wasn't hey, Listen, I, I will but never. That's where, you know, you and I are have in the same world. reaction, I, though, right? Yeah, we'll have the same reaction in, in Canada. I will never criticize what 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 someone does because you and I know how difficult it is. Yep. Um, yep. and, and, but that was a very difficult position. I think George was in and, and the network was in and it, it didn't work out. You, you always hope it works out. I, I think first and foremost, you and I, especially in this business, you always hope it works out, but man, it, it, it was, it was difficult to watch at times. Yeah. But I, I mean, look, I, I think there are certain shows that become, part of the fabric almost that, that it's, as you say, I mean, Jeopardy is one of those things for certain people, uh, every night Jeopardy seven thirty. it's like clockwork and they just, it's, it's become part of their life and it really, really matters. Hockey night in Canada would be the same thing. You know, when they changed the Monday night football booth, at least once upon a time when it was Monday night football until they started changing it every year and it became silly. But for a while there, uh, if you, you know, Howard Cosell, if you were going to get him out of there, I mean, that was huge. That was huge news. If you were going to do something like that, people do no though. They, and, like, and, it's amazing how, the, go ahead. I was just going to, I was just going to say, sorry, I think we're, look at the outrage that happened this past year with, with, with uh, Blue Jays baseball on the radio. Yeah. You, you, yeah. You know, now, you're, you're right. Yeah. You, you fall in love with, you get used to a certain voice, a certain, a, their, their certain patter how they welcome, how they make you feel. And as soon as that's gone, you know, very rarely will the new person or persons be liked right off the bat. They have some big shoes to fill and maybe they can endear themselves to their fans. All right. You work in television. I mean, you do a show. Let me, let me ask you this for a second. Let's say, and and Scott Urquhart, who works with you is fantastic, but let's say Scott left and uh, I don't want him to, I'm not pushing him out the door, but let's say he did. And they asked you, Mike, let's have you involved in choosing who your new co-host would be. If there was a groundswell of support for somebody in the community that you started getting all kinds of text messages and tweets and everything else, and there seemed to be this enormous push for this person, would Mike Fortune say, you know what, if that many people want that person, I'm going to go with that person or... Would you be the guy who says, no, no, I'm going to be really clever and they're eventually going to love who I chose. And then when that happens, they're all going to say, only Mike saw the pro- the the potential in that person. And he was smarter than all the rest of us. And we honor Mike for figuring that out. You know, I, 
it's 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 interesting because what people don't understand and what they don't know is is what goes on behind the scenes. You you, you have to work together uh, and, and come across it. Not necessarily you have to be best friends behind the scenes, but you have to come across um, on air, whether it be on radio or on, on TV, that you know you have to work together. So just because there's a groundswell of support for somebody to come in to replace somebody else. If there isn't that chemistry there, then it's just it's not going to work, and it's going to be a failed experiment. No matter how hard you try, no matter how hard the hosts work together, if there isn't that oomph factor when you two can create that TV magic, and again, I'm, I'm not saying community television is creating you know magic all the time, but you have to have relationships that that appease and come across. And just because the mass media or mass group of people say you should be with so-and-so, it might not work. And then what do you do? Then you're starting from ground zero again, right? Uh, for the record, so this is there's two hosts, as we said, Maya and Bialik, who was uh, on Big Bang Theory. She was on Blossom before that. Very intelligent woman. I mean, not just an actress, although you can be very intelligent and be an actress, but she also has her PhD and her dissertation Let me read this because I'll never remember this. Her dissertation was an investigation of hypothalamic activity in patients with Prader-Willi syndrome titled Hypothalamic Regulation in Relation to Maladaptive Obsessive Compulsive Affiliative and Satiety Behaviors in Prader-Willi Syndrome. So there's a few grains of gray matter brain cells that are firing in her head. I don't think too many people are saying she doesn't deserve this. It's the other guy. It's the guy, if you're the boss, and you've been behind the scenes and you're pulling the levers and you're the the wizard behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, the person who is visible leaves. I think it would be really hard not to say, hey, my turn to be famous. My hey, turn but, to be loved. But but you never know. This guy might come out. He might knock it out of the park. You, you don't know. Because at some point, you start to you become a constant and people just start to get used to you. People get, you know, so it's possible that he could charm everybody's socks off and, and this might work. And again, you hope it do. You, you hope it does. You don't want to see failure. No, especially with a show like this. I mean, it's, it's a, all right, let me move on. We got a few minutes left here. Yeah. I want to ask you this question because I don't know if you watched last night. Now this week, we've talked a couple times about the field of dreams game that was on last night. Anyone who didn't see the beginning I'm telling you, you missed something. It was really... Did you watch any of it, Mike? Scotty, come on. You know I'm a big ball fan. I sure did. And I also listened to the replay of your WP Kinsella interview. So thanks for putting that on social media so I could listen to it again. Yes, I watched the intro. Kevin Costner, them coming out of the cornfield. It was beautiful. Um, It It was beautiful. It was spectacular. So here's my question for you then based on this. I'm not going to go back into that game, but they did about... Just before the opening pitch, uh, Fox that was showing the game had about a 90 second little thing narrated by James Earl Jones. Now yeah. it was, it was fantastic. James Earl Jones, of course, who played, uh, in the movie, he was one of the keys in the movie, a little sad because oh, clearly James Earl Jones, Terrence Mann, right. Uh, clearly his voice is not mm-hmm. the same thunderous basso profundo voice that did this is cnn and did darth vader and all and did that i mean it's he's an old man now and and so it's a little it's not the same and that's the passage of time but it was great to hear him on there he needed to be part of this but here's my question for you the mike fortune story is being put together a documentary about the life of mike fortune 
Who is the voice that you want narrating your story? Oh, come on. You're giving me no time to think about this. Um, I, I would like to go with someone who has that deep baritone voice, who is extremely articulate. Uh, I don't need pomp and circumstance and, and goofy and funny. Um, I, I would like to be kind of talked about in that, in that, in that storybook kind of, of mantra, the way uh, James Earl Jones reads. So who could that, that be? I, I'd have to give it some more. Well, James Earl Jones, maybe, yes. That well, may, may, but to your point, it was the first thing I noticed. I knew who it was without him saying it, but you're, I did notice how different his voice was thanks to Father Time, unfortunately. Mm. So maybe, you know, there's the guy that does the, the I think he does the Allstate commercials. Um, he's got a deep baritone voice. You know, I don't know. I just I, I like that feel. I, I like I like the chills it kind of gives you. It makes your hair stand yeah. up on your arms. What about you? See, did there you was have a couple. You've well, had some time to think about this, I'm sure. Yeah, I did, and there were a couple that came to mind. And then I thought, I don't know if that would be ludicrous because two of them that came to mind. The first one, I mean, James Earl Jones is obvious. Uh, by the way, send me a note as you're listening to this. If you have someone that you think would be great to narrate your life story, who's the voice you would want? Radley at 900chml.com. Radley at 900chml.com. Send me a note. Um, the first one I thought of after James Earl Jones was Morgan Freeman. Oh, fantastic who would, choice. Who would be fantastic, except, except when I hear him narrating now, there are two things that come to mind. One is the Shawshank Redemption, where he was the voice that narrated that story. That was amazing. The other was March of the Penguins, which <laughs> I now I don't know if I want my life to sound like March of the Penguins, which takes me to the other one that came to mind right away, <laughs> which was Sir Richard Attenborough, who does all those nature things. And I don't really know if I want to sound like I'm a lemur on the Serengeti or something. And uh, okay. uh, it would be amazing. His voice, yeah, no, he, no, he has it, the it perfect delivery. Would, you know, and, and so while you're talking, I was giving another thought. I don't know how much of the History Channel you or your, your listeners listen to or watch, I should say. There is a voice that does all the reading for uh, The Curse of Oak, Oak Island, for example. He does a bunch of shows. Okay. I really like his voice. Um, I don't know his name. He, I, he's not a big famous name, but his voice always gets me. And I just really like how he tells a story and how he narrates. So anyway. Yeah, the other one that came that. to mind, the other one that came to mind for me today, and I don't know if people are going to be familiar with this one. They, they'd have to go look it up. Uh, and then you would probably understand. Did you ever watch the show Flight of the Concords ever? It was no, an, it was not. a, Sorry, okay. No, no, it was a, a niche sort of, it was a New Zealand comedy show. It was on and so you could have seen it, but you probably, anyway, there's a guy from there named Jermaine Clement. And this guy's voice is perfect. He has the, the, the accent, but he's got the delivery and it's halfway between funny and really serious. And I was like, all right, if, if, if Morgan Freeman and James Earl Jones and Sir Richard Attenborough are unavailable when it comes time, you know, Bill Kelly as well. I could have Bill Kelly do, do the narration of my life story. That would work. You know what? He, he's got some good pipes, man. He's, he's got oh, some yeah. pipes. There, there are some local guys that could, that could definitely do it. There's no doubt about it. I'm just wondering if, and this is crazy, I'm going to have to look it up when we go to break, um, but I'm wondering if the guy who narrates that show on the History Channel is the guy who does the voice work for this show and the other ones on CHML, because I know he does a lot of the same work. I'm going to have to look that up. We may be, we may be talking about the guy that you hear every day on this show. Well, so I just got the guy's name here. His name is Robert Clotworthy. He's an That's American narrator and voice actor. 
Okay, I don't know if I could have a guy named Clotworthy doing my life. <laughs> doesn't sound very uh, narratorish, does it? Well, it just—it's a distraction. Who's that yeah. talking? That's an amazing voice, Robert Clotworthy. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, uh, someone it, some great suggestions, and it, you know, something—it's kind of fun to be able to talk about and, and think about, and you know, seeing your life in slow motion and as as it, as it goes by in your mind, and hearing that deep baritone or that voice that you you've always liked. Kind of cool. Good topic. Yeah, somebody just called in. Uh, ben was just whispering in my ear and said, "Sam Elliott." That's a good one too. Excellent. Do you know Sam Elliott, the, the guy, he's got the real um, sort of Southern drawl. He's got a big mu- white mustache. He was in things like Roadhouse. Is that the movie, name of the movie? And yeah. a bunch of yeah. others. He does the commercials. He does the truck commercials. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I know, I know he's passed on and he can't do it, but you know who I just thought of another one is, is Elvis. Uh, would have been Robin Will- <laughs> Elvis now. Uh, Robin <laughs> Williams. I think he would have been great. Yeah, although it would have been a very hard life to have to live up to if he was doing it. I don't know that my life lives up to a Robin Williams sort of frenetic pace. I, I'm I'm more low key. Well, there you go. But again, I I just I like his voice, and you know, you you watch Goodwill Hunting and all that, and you listen to some of his narrations when he's just he, he's pretty good too. But anyways, yeah, hey, so someone else just called with Rowan Atkinson, Mr. Bean. That. <laughs> <laughs> and and Mike just emailed me. He'd like Roy Green to do his life. Hey, yeah, before we go, go, this this question has come up before, and I'll let you go after this. But when the LRT gets built, the question is, <laughs> yeah. you're going to have to have a voice who's going to do the announcements. And theoretically, you would want someone from Hamilton to be the voice of the LRT announcements. Who should be the voice of LRT? Now, I I just this is off the top of my head. I've given this no thought whatsoever. Who's the most famous Hamiltonian who could do those announcements? Who's living? And who has a good voice? Eh, even if they don't have a good voice, as long as it's someone that I think reflects the city and that if people who are not from here get on the LRT, they go, oh, I, see, I, Martin I, Short would be the guy that comes to mind immediately. I was going to say, Eugene Levy, Martin Short, you know, I know he's not a fan of the LRT, but I like his voice, Bob Bertina. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. I don't think Bob Bertina is going to volunteer based on his stance he's taken. Um, regardless yeah, of you what you what? think, I, I like his voice, Martin short, Eugene Levy, uh, red green, Steve Smith. We could do all the, all Dave Thomas, all the Hamilton comedians and have hilarious announcements on the LRT. Yeah. Again, clever. Again, you should get that, put that in a marketing plan and send it off to Metrolinx or city hall. You, you might as well get it to city hall now. Cause it's going to take him 18 years to come up with a decision <laughs> on how to market it. So and you know as well as I do that the likelihood of Metrolinx or City Hall saying, yeah, I like the idea of fun when it comes to the voices on here. If we get someone, we're going to probably have someone who works as a mortician in a local funeral home who can, <laughs> who's able that, to... That or they'll do some artificial <laughs> intelligent voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or it'll just be the current city councillors of the day because, you know, that would be way more important. Yeah, 15, 20 years from now, who knows who that will be? Well, you, you might still see uh, Ward Jackson 8 there. Counselor Mike Fortune. Gosh, no. No, no, no. Not happening. <laughs> we got to run. We are flat out of time. Mike Fortune, always love having you on. People can watch Mike on the the Hamilton Network on Cable 14. It's on over, well, it's on many times. I don't even know all the times, but it's on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and several times. Go look it up. Mike, Scotty, as always, thank thanks you so for so much doing for your time. All the best to you and the family. I love being on, pal. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.
The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.